Hello, everyone, and welcome to The Social Contract, a Commander podcast. I'm Mike Allman, and joining me is my co-host, Alex Lapp. Alex, what's up, man? Well, not too much, Mike. Today, we're going to finally complete our Adventures in the Forgotten Realms set review by doing mm-hmm. the new Commander cards. Yeah, I got I got all my dice. I, I've made a character sheet. I, I think I've got a cool idea for, like, this this wildfire druid that, like, summons this, like, like spirit that's like a fiery corgi thing so i'm i'm ready to play some dnd with you uh okay i mean i don't i thought we were playing magic i aren't we doing both in the in that the thing well i don't know how well this skit is gonna land but, uh... <laughs> well i'll tell you what uh you you called it first so uh and and we teased it enough times to where we should we should really hit uh, some of these cards in the D&D set, uh, in the Forgotten Realm set, which are... Here's the thing. I love D&D. I love magic, and I love D&D. The flavor in this set is absolutely phenomenal. Sure. And that said, you kind of hit it before uh, when you were doing all of the regular main set cards that we would discuss. There's not a ton that hit into the stacks, chaos, politics, group hug Yeah, aspect. not too many. But there are a few, mm-hmm. and uh, why don't we go ahead and start with one of them. One of the oldest, most interesting items, I think, in D&D is now a magic card. Uh, why don't you talk to me about a movable rod, Alex? Yeah, Mike, a movable rod is an artifact for white, a single mana. You may choose not to untap a movable rod during your untap step, and I think for most players, once you've heard that part, you know what's happening for the rest of it. Whenever mm-hmm. a movable rod becomes untapped, venture into the dungeon. That part's new, at least. For three, white and tap. For as long as immovable rod remains tapped, another target permanent loses all abilities and can't attack or block. Um, yeah, I think if this were another color, that effect would have read that you would steal the creature. But for white, that makes more sense. Yeah, um, I could see that. Now, losing all abilities is very nice. Normally, mm-hmm. you know, for a card in standard, you wouldn't have can't attack or block, and also it loses all its abilities. You know, right. either one or the other, or it can't activate its activated abilities. They usually re- try to temper these down in standard. This is limiting enough that you could lock down a commander with this, and basically, unless they have a sack outlet um, or are able to spot remove. Right, that and, I mean, the very worst case scenario, yeah, it's it's four mana to activate and tap it, but it says target permanent. Like, mm-hmm. this can this can turn off a Gaia's Cradle, can it? Yes, it can. Like, this, this I, I like the, I like that they made a stacks piece where this is just target permanent doesn't get to be that permanent. Yeah, target basically. permanent is pretty major. It is still that permanent. It just doesn't have any abilities. Right. right. Yeah. And, and I, and I dig that. And it's, I, I, the, the art is pretty hilarious too. So I'm kind of, I'm kind of a fan of the card existing. Uh, it, it this is the kind of stacks that I like. It, it is, Hey, that's a problem. We're going to turn that. Yeah, this is a pretty decent value. I do that. like how they give you, a reason to ever untap it. Yeah. Um, I mean, venturing into the dungeon is, is nice. You don't have to have any venture into the dungeon sym- uh, synergy in your deck. So you right. take advantage of that because 
the dungeon cards kind of exist, whether you yes. have any effects in your deck that take advantage of that or not, um, which is nice. So yeah. there's that. That's the only uh, white card that we're talking about today. Yeah. yeah. Let's let's move on to some of these black cards here and uh, go with Death Tyrant. Uh, four generic and a black for a Beholder Skeleton, four six with Menace, uh, and also has as much text as you can fit onto a card without making the text smaller. Mm-hmm. Um, I like these like abilities that aren't abilities that they do with the italics. An ability this word. One being, yeah. Yeah. This one being a negative energy cone. Uh, whenever an attacking creature you control or a blocking creature an opponent controls dies, create a 2-2 black zombie creature co- token. And then for five generic and a black, you can return Death Tyrant from the graveyard to the battlefield tapped. This, it just begs to be put into uh, a Thantis deck, into a Combat Matters deck. Yeah. And I, I, I like this effect a lot. Yeah, absolutely. Um, players in Commander are usually more willing to let damage go through. But of course, if you have some pretty devastating on hit triggers for your creatures as you might have mm-hmm. in, in a deck like this then of course they're willing to chump block it but then when you chump block it you're getting free value getting that 2-2 zombie creature yeah so yeah this is this is a nice include in any deck where you're going to be doing a lot of combat swinging through and against any opponents that are doing a lot of combat right yeah. my i think my goal is to what is the red card that says at the beginning of everybody's, well, I don't know if it's their combat step or their main step, but everybody, uh, whoever's turn it is makes a 5-1 trample haste. Uh, right of the Raging Storm. Yeah, Right of the Raging Storm. The, my dream is to have this out with a Right of the Raging Storm. <laughs> yeah. Just because I think that would be great. Yeah. I like Death Tyrant. How about uh, Hellish Rebuke? This is a yeah. bit of a combat trick for two and a black for an instant. Until end of turn, permanents your opponent's control gain. Uh, when this permanent deals damage to the player who cast Hellish Rebuke, sacrifice this permanent, you lose two life. Um, it's kind of like No Mercy, but at instant speed. Sure. And it's not just for combat either. It's also for uh, any permanents that deal damage directly mm-hmm. on the board. And then they're not only are they losing that permanent, but... Uh, this this would also hose a token deck, right? Because normally you lose a bunch of your tokens, so who cares? But now you're losing sure. a bunch of your tokens and also losing two life for each token, uh, which well, can be pretty devastating. That, and if somebody's comboing off with a commander or something mm-hmm. along those lines, uh, a Niv-Mizzet deck, a, a Nekusar deck, something along those lines where right. that permanent is dealing damage to you, well, great, I'll take my one, and then you'll take two. And then I'll take my one, and you'll take... Your, and I, I, I dig that. I also like that this is a card where... You called it a combat trick, and it it is a combat trick. Like, the whole point of a Hellish Rebuke in D&D is, ah, something hit me. Well, as a reaction, I'm going to hit it back real hard. Right. And they, they made that win really well. Yeah, it's an interesting one. I don't know if I would if I would be able to find a place for it in any of my decks, but uh, I don't know. It's it's another one of those cards that's just interesting to have around. Yeah, it's it's... I feel like it's 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 very limited is the wrong word. It's very narrow. Yeah. Where the amount of times that it's going to do something great also requires you to kind of get hurt a lot. I mean, you could definitely figure out a sort of weird janky deck that could finagle 
forcing your opponents to attack into you, and then they sacrifice yeah. all their permanents, and sure. they lose all their life. You know, a, you, a, you can a, make a it work. De- uh, not a goading deck, but a Thantis deck where, oh no, everything's going to attack, or something along those lines. But right. yeah, it's it's a cool card. What else you got for me? Uh, Lorcan Warlock Collector mm-hmm. is a new commander. Five black black for a legendary creature devil. A 6-6 six, six flyer. With whenever a creature card is put into an opponent's graveyard from anywhere, you may pay life equal to its mana value. If you do, put it onto the battlefield under your control. It's a warlock in addition to its other types. If a warlock you control would die, exile it instead. Um, yeah, that's... This is nuts. That is quite powerful. <laughs> yeah. Um because basically you're getting that that nice Kyrick effect where you're casting spells by paying life. Uh-huh. And not only that, but I mean, usually you have this thing where when you've stolen an opponent's permanent and then it dies or you sack it, it goes to their graveyard. They can get it back eventually. But uh, not in this case. Now it would just uh, get exiled off of your board. Yeah. yeah. Good luck, recursion decks. More than anything I, I love that it's not even a as long as Lorcan stays on the battlefield so you take that creature it's just yours yeah it's yours now and then the best thing that they can do is kill Lorcan so when it when their former creature dies well now it's just exiled so the idea of this like the bottom line on this yeah it's it's expensive it's a seven mana six six with flying so there's evasion to it too mm-hmm but that ability to where people don't swing in as much and people are a little bit more defensive. If there is a chance they lose their creature, well, ta-da. Now I'm going to pay five life and it's my creature. Yeah, I think the signature spell here is going to be in Garruk's Wake. Yeah. I I almost wonder, does, does Lorcan... Does this deck, whether it's the lead singer or it's a card that's in the deck... Does, is this something where you have to have life gain in it to be able to like actually stretch this out rather than oh well I'm going to take this yep. one creature and probably then because uh, unlike in the case where you would be able to reanimate creatures out of your own graveyard by paying life you will never be able to uh, in most metas at least have a strong grasp on whatever CMC or mana value your opponent's creatures are going to be and mm-hmm. you want a lot of value out of it and you're right i mean you reanimate a, a couple of four five and six cmc creatures um you're going to notice that your life is is dropping pretty dramatically so i, I think some life game would definitely not be out of place here yeah I'm, I'm i'm thinking about like even if the if you play a card where everybody sacrifices a creature and you take two of those say it's for a combined nine life well you've almost quartered yourself off of one ability Mm -hmm. on one turn but i mean heck those two creatures might be pretty awesome i mean there's also a bunch of effects in black where you lose life other opponents lose life Mm -hmm. um i mean you can definitely find quite a bit of synergy for this oh yeah i i'm i'm this is one of those cards that i'm very strongly considering to put into the liaison uh, angel deck mm-hmm. where oh i will have all angels and clerics and also one devil i suppose because that deck is all about changing life totals and being weird about it and this would fit right in but i think that's going to do it for black yeah uh on 
And again, some interesting effects. Let's let's get into red because this is this is where we start getting to some of the the really interesting cards as far as I'm concerned. Starting with Berserker's uh, Frenzy. Two generic and a red for an instant. Cast this spell only before combat or during combat before blockers are declared. Roll 2d20 and ignore the lower roll. So we're rolling with advantage. That's neat. Uh, on a 1 to 14, you choose any number of creatures. They block this turn if able. On a 15 to 20, you choose which creatures block this turn and how those creatures block. So this is bad master warcraft yeah but i would absolutely take a three mana second try at master Warcraft. well it's also it's not as restrictive of a casting cost as master warcraft master warcraft is a boros card this is a mono red yes yeah yeah no don't don't get me wrong i love this card (laughs) there's yeah there's about four decks you choose which creatures block this turn and how those creatures block is uh is yes devastating i mean yeah you can win the game on the spot. You can blow up their entire board on the spot or anything in mm-hmm. between. You could just pick off their utility creatures. You can do whatever you want. And, and you know what? And the entire time I was looking at this is like the, oh, I'm absolutely going to cast this on my combat. And I wasn't even thinking about the, oh, I, I'll, I'll hold on to this. And somebody else, if they're swinging out with mm-hmm. a bunch of stuff. We're gonna do some other stuff. Mm-hmm. Just the just the even making things block if they don't want to is absolutely wrecking sometimes. Right now, to be clear, First, for the for the one through fourteen, mm-hmm. uh, those creatures do have to block a fable, but their controller will choose choose how how they block. Yes. They only have to block uh, one thing at least. Right. Yeah. But oh, I I I love that stuff. I I. I I, I think if I ever did play modern or standard or just, you know, traditional magic, I would have fun because I like combat tricks. But I don't, I I don't know. I, EDH has a special place in my heart. I just like doing combat weird stuff with of it. Of course. Why don't you talk to me about our next card? Here? Oh, I see you, Mike. You want to talk about the fun one. Maddening yeah. Hex for one red red. It's an enchantment or a curse with enchant player. Whenever enchanted player casts a non-creature spell, roll a d6. Maddening Hex deals damage to that player equal to the result. Then, attach Maddening Hex to another one of your opponents chosen at random. Um, I mean, this, this, cool. this just slides right into every burn deck. Yeah. And probably most chaos decks. It's a cool deck. Yeah, this... It's a cool card. Um, I mean, I think the one of the main benefit of curse effects is that you can hate out a player in specific, mm-hmm. but I think this is a lot less a curse. It probably shouldn't have been labeled a curse because it feels to me that like a curse is something you put on someone. It's not something that travels around the field at random, but that's ah. just, I'm just nitpicking. I don't know. But Alex, what D and D lore. Um, okay. A hex is literally a curse that you move around on people in D and D after things get hit. Okay, but and, do you move it around yeah. at random after people get hit? I mean, you don't do that. I'll give you that. You you are you are not wrong there. And okay. This, I I like the little bit of chaos and moving it around, and more importantly, that it's to another one of your opponents chosen at random. So, the worst case scenario that this is ever going to have is that 
it goes to the one opponent you don't want who's only casting creature spells. Well, there's that, but then there's also a, a second to worst case scenario where it's becoming attached to a player that does have non-creature spells and does want to cast them, but it just passed their turn. So effectively, mm. this is only ticking a player every two turns. Sure. That can happen, and that would make this card uh, pretty maddeningly slow. Oh, yeah. No, this is this is one of those cards that I like it because it institutes the randomness of a, of a die being one to six and the random of where it's going to go. And it's enough little effects. I don't like a burn spell that is, Hey, this player takes 20. Well, this I it, definitely it, won't happen here. You don't have to worry about no, that. No, but I do like it when it's, it, it's like it's burning effects that, you know, go on top of each other. And it's, it's, it's a bunch of, I, I kind of dig this just because it's one of those pieces where it's, not ever going to really feel like it's hitting hard. So it's going to probably stick around a lot longer than it should. Just for three mana. All right, Mike, I know that you uh, arranged us in such a way that you want to make sure that you talk about this card. And I agree. This is uh, the most uh, interesting card in the whole set. So please. Here, here's what you, here's what I'll say. I didn't do that on purpose. And I the next card we're going to talk about after this one is actually the one that I want to I want to hit the hardest, so oh, okay. I, I will see this back to you. All right. Why don't, why don't you talk well, about this? Well, I'm very excited about this card. What a fun idea for a card. Share the spoils. Yeah. One in a red for an enchantment. Great price. When share the spoils enters the battlefield or an opponent loses the game, exile the top card of each player's library. During each player's turn, that player may play a land or cast a spell from among cards, exiled with share the spoils, and may spend mana as though it were mana of any color to cast that spell. When they do... Exile the top card of their library. Yeah, I think this we're is all just playing everybody's deck. This is delightful. It's yeah. it's chaos, but unlike your other chaos effects to this that are quite similar, uh, your knowledge pool uh, effects like that mm-hmm. that forcibly cause players to cast other spells. This is just expanding the number of cards in your hand, and you could get a land and just play a land for free. I mean that's that's kind of a, a less impactful thing to do because you're you're hoping that there are fun, awesome spells. And, of course, we sure. have the nice clause here that says that it'll fix your mana for you. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we have that self-balancing factor that the more you utilize Share the Spoils, the more cards from your deck are put into the pile. I like this card a lot. I do, too. I don't know what deck I would possibly put it in, but I'm sure I could... Make one eventually. Um, I I like it. This is exactly the kind of effect I like to see. It's not making anyone do anything that they don't want to do. It's just opening up additional avenues. And you also get that big, you know, forehead smack moment when the this card top decks the spell that you really, really wanted to cast. Right. And there's no way you're going to get it now. Yeah. Yeah. So, I I love this card because I love the idea of hey everybody, the, everybody's playing your deck. Just so you know, <laughs> I'm playing your deck. They're playing your deck. Everybody's playing all of the decks. Um, I want to clarify. So during each player's turn, that player may play a land or cast a spell. Yes. So you can only do one of the two. Yes. Okay. And then 
after you you do that either way, then you're exiling the top card of your library. Yes. So there can be a point where you're, I mean, if, if you're playing other people's decks, essentially, and not playing your own, there could be a chance where you've got like four or five cards in exile in the future. But I just, I dig this card for two red mana. It is a great the price. right kind of chaos. Yeah. And I, I'm thrilled with if it. If this were too much pressure than, than two, then I think it would get a little bit less attractive. But at two mana, this is sure. like, you put it down at the start of the game. I don't think anyone's ever going to blow this up. It's just going to stay there generating a ton of value for the table all game long. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's just the only fun. reason The only reason somebody blows this up is because somebody plays one of their spells off the top of their deck. And then the next thing that they flip is like an it that betrays, or it's some kind of like crazy powerful win con. It's like, oh, I have to destroy that share share the spoils before somebody else gets a chance. Well, the funny thing is, like, regardless, it's still their card is still exiled. Like, you're never getting it back, even if you blow this up. Right. It's I see. Here's the thing. I don't play enough mean cards to not love this. I play mean cards, and I still love this. This is awesome. Yeah. Well, when you were when you're talking about, you didn't know what deck you would put it into. Right. Um. I. I'll put this in a bunch of decks just because I think it's silly. I mean, my decks and, are typically pretty heavily themed, and yeah. this currently doesn't match any of the themes of any of my decks at the moment. Maybe someday. Maybe but for someday. now, we ain't there. All right, Mike, tell uh, me about uh, the the green card that we're talking yeah. about today. Speaking of a card that can uh, that can fit a, a couple of... Oh, this is going card. right into my deck. Yeah, uh, let's talk about Druid of Purification. Uh, three generic and a green for a 2-3 human druid. When Druid of Purification enters the battlefield, starting with you, each player may choose an artifact or enchantment you don't control. Destroy each permanent chosen this way. Phenomenal. It's very good. Rexage screwed up. Yeah. This, (laughs) I'm probably going to replace Null Mage Advocate with Druid of Purification in my Vanifar deck. Because Vanifar prefers to have creatures that are one and done, they do their thing, and then they can be safely sacrificed without losing value. Right. And Nomage Advocate is actually the exact opposite. Since it has a tap ability, it has to stay out, and then you want to keep using it, so you want it to keep staying out. Druid of Purification, all of the value is right away, and then you sack it. Um, So for me, I think this this card is an auto-include in my Vanifar deck. I'm very excited about it. It reminds me of, uh, of Pierce Whim a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, I like and uh, and what's the other one? Uh, council's judgment. Yeah, I was gonna say it's it's, yeah. it's it's druid of the of the of the council as far as I'm concerned. Well, different color, but uh, yeah, yeah, this it, even though it's four mana without like any of a body, you're getting potentially four spot removals of the four meanest things on the board, artifacts and enchantments that you don't control, mm-hmm. and. Most of the hate is not going to be coming at you because you only made one quarter of those decisions. So I think this is a win-win. I love this card. Well, heck, the way that you play this is one of two ways. One, you play this letting the table know, hey, we need to destroy that thing. Yeah. This is the way that I've got to destroy that thing. Sorry. Like, I I don't know what to tell you. And more times than not, you're going to be okay. The other way that you play it is you play this card and then you pick the third worst thing at the table <laughs> and you let everybody else resolve what the first and second thing are. 
uh, the amount of value that the worst case scenario. Say you get rid of the one bad thing at the table and then a couple of other things that don't really matter. That's still better than Rexage. That's still better than a lot of different types of targeted yeah. removal. This is a four mana. You can recur it. It is no you blowback. Like it. even it's for so other good. players, it, none of them can ever hit what you have. There's other than the slightly swollen casting cost of three to green, which I think is pretty acceptable for yeah. spot remove four things. Uh, there's really no like this is a great spot removal card. I oh, like this sure. a lot. I like it. Yeah, sorry to be a broken record, but if if Rexage is two and a green, and this is three and a green, yes, this is just better than Rexage for me, for a, by a lot, yeah, by a lot. Um, let's move on to multicolor here with a, another legendary creature. Why don't you talk to me about Karazakar? Yeah, so Karazakar, the Eye Tyrant, is a legendary creature beholder for three black red. It's a five five, and it has whenever you attack a player. Tap target creature that player controls and goad it. Uh, whenever an opponent attacks another one of your opponents, such as with goad, you and the attacking player each draw a card and lose one life. Now, the thing that I like about this is that the second ability is synergistic with the first ability, yes. but they're not inextricably linked. It's no. not like it has to be a creature you goaded this way or anything like that it can just be hey i'm playing edric in rakdos attack my opponents <laughs> and i will give you cards yeah. it's that simple also that thing has to attack i, I like this this is this is interesting it's not groundbreaking no but it's it's a good card to just exist so, does this... All right, I need help with the wording here. Okay. So, for the second ability, whenever an opponent attacks another one of your opponents, you and the attacking player each draw a card and lose one life. Yes. If my opponent attacks two of my other opponents, does that trigger twice? Yes. So, that's... Yeah, this is cool. Yeah. You want I them like to spread Karazakar. the love here. It's a very... Because you can get it's... each of your opponents... You can draw three on every player's turn if they attack with three. So uh, you can be... No. Yeah. Because it's whenever they attack another one of your opponents, right? So two. So two is In the a maximum, pot of four. but you can do that pretty consistently. In a pot of four, you can get two cards. Got it. Okay. Okay, so then for three of them, you could, in Christmas Land be getting six cards before your turn starts. Mm-hmm. And I would think even getting half that, even getting two or three cards each oh, turn. Yeah. I think, of course, you're going to be running all the goat effects in here, right? This is this is goat tribal. I get, I just Thantis is one of those decks that I've always wanted to build and I never have. I think this is more interesting than Thantis. I mean, it doesn't I, have but, green, but no. But that's what yeah. I'm saying. Like, I'm 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 in here now doing this thing where like this set replaced a lot of the cards that I was going to have to buy, right. For me to want to make a Thantis deck. And I'm looking at the other creatures in here, and I'm like, I don't know if Fantas is going to actually make the cut in this deck anymore. Because <laughs> uh... I, I don't, I don't, I don't have a Rakdos deck. And yeah, nor do I. This is a pretty interesting card for that. This, uh, this throws back a bit to uh, Zantra, the Sleeper Agent, 
mm-hmm. in this idea of political Rakdos cards. And yes, we actually saw a lot of political Rakdos cards in unsets, but unfortunately, those are not legal. Right. So pretty limited there. But I would love to see more political Rakdos cards like Karazakar and like Sancha that just involve giving things. Oh, I guess there's also uh, Blim, comedic genius. Sure. Um, giving things but exacting a cost, I think is it's yes. it's not as cut and dry as something like Nekusar, where it's like, okay, well, I'm giving you cards, but you're going to lose before you can cast them. This right. is much more like, oh, just hurt my enemies and I'll pay you. I like I'll, that more. Uh- I like the idea of chaos politics. Yeah. And and I think that's something that Rakdos is leaning into in a pretty cool way. I think this is a pretty, it's a, a nice, straightforward political commander. And if you're looking oh, for a Rakdos sure. political commander, you could go worse than this. No, it's, it's, it is, it is definitely on my short list of uh, cards that are sure. going to become a lead singer very soon. Um, so let's talk about a couple of things that, you know, maybe they're not as powerful. Maybe maybe we're not talking about, the sh- you know, destroying four permanents or having awesome yeah, they're not green. effects and things like that. Um, can we just talk about how adorable of a card uh, Bucknerd's Everfull Purse is? Uh, so too generic for an artifact that has pay one and tap it. Roll a d4 and create a number of treasure tokens equal to the result. The player to your right gains control of Bucknerd's Everfull Purse. This is so much fun to me. This is fun. Um, I would say that insofar as political, it's not. This is a group hug card. Oh, for sure. And don't get me wrong. I love group hug cards, but just need to be clear. When you play this, you're going to help the entire table whether you like it or not. Yeah. And as long as you're okay with that. This is just a delightful card. Because the timing on it, it's got to be a little weird, too. Because you basically have to talk to the person to your right, Mm -hmm. make sure they're not going to do anything terrible with a little bit of extra mana for you to use it before your turn and get the most amount of value. That's that's the other thing, right, is that unlike something like uh, what's our uh, what's our fun armor set that we like? Oh, uh, Assault Suit. Assault Suit. Unlike Assault Suit, this doesn't have any protection from being sacrificed. And if if you have another artifact deck at the table, or any artifact deck at the table, not only can you not prevent them from sacrificing it, but you also can't prevent them from eventually getting it, as long as you send it along its way. Right. So this is a pretty vulnerable piece. That said, nothing would make me happier than casting this, rolling... Getting my let's let's say I luck out and I get three treasure tokens. Okay. okay, and then I pass this to the player to my right, and then they sacrifice it. Mm-hmm. Oh my gosh! Did you two see what this person just did? I tried to give you all treasure. <laughs> yeah, I would. This definitely person be pulling literally the same threw. Move. This person's like, look at we them. A, you were gonna get treasure, so, and they took it from you. L- listen, I had a corporate credit card. We were going to go yeah. and buy a bunch of stuff, and they threw it in the trash. Yeah. You should hurt them. Also, if they're going to sacrifice this, that probably means that they're <laughs> in a position where, oh, no, people can't have extra resources. I'm going to try and win soon. Uh, I just, I love this as a card idea. And I, I think it's I think it's neat. At the, at the same time, as much as the timing can be weird on it, 
you at least get to control the starting point, which, right. you know, I, I love rights of flourishing, right? But I get that benefit last. Yes. And that, that concerns me sometimes. Cause if that same mean player that wants to not have other people have fun, uh, gets to do something about it before it's my turn. Well, I gave everybody value but me. Yeah, this is more of a Temple Bell thing where you just hold it until it's time to do it and you'll get the most advantage and everyone else gets the the least relative advantage because they're going to get the advantage anyway. You just want to maximize that uh, gulf to make sure that you're edging them out slightly, Um, which is going to be pretty hard with such a a random... Temple Bell purse. Yeah, Temple Bell purse. This card (laughs) is random. It's delightful. I don't think you're going to generate any value off of it, but you are going to generate social capital, which I think we both know is yeah. uh, is something that is vastly underappreciated in the game of Commander. Sure. And even little tiny benefits like this, like Forbidden Orchard, where you're giving somebody a, a 1-1. The spirit. Like, yeah. even, even if you're giving somebody a fraction of nothing, as long as it's free, they will overvalue it. Yeah. Because here's the thing. It's free and... Well, in those other circumstances, it's you choosing to give them something, right? For for this, it could be something where, hey, how, it, how would a would a couple extra mana help you next turn? Mm-hmm. And if they say yes, okay, great, do it then. As the, long as they're not seated to your left, it's like, hey, yeah. can you make sure I can help this player? Yeah. Like, no, nope, I sure can't. Here's <laughs> the thing: I can make sure it heads that way, but I can't do anything else. Um, this this is one of those things where it's like this is a cool turn two play. Yeah. There's other turn two plays I'd rather have if I'm looking to ramp. Right. Don't get me wrong, but I I dig the idea of having this and then just holding on to it until somebody on your right says, "Hey, really help me out if you move that over here next turn." All right, don't yeah. mess with me. I mean, I can't even <laughs> tell you just how often there has been one a more situation mana, right? of one more mana. Being able to meet somebody's mana requirements when they're one mana short is like throwing them a life preserver when they're drowning. Mm-hmm. It's they are so grateful or so desperate, depending on how you view it, that you're either going to gain a lot of rapport with them in that game, mm-hmm. or you're going to be able to exact quite the deal with them. Either way. Right. A silly little card is punching above its weight class because giving value away is not throwing it away. It's right. It's planting a seed. You're you're getting a benefit, even if it's not immediately visible. And I like this card. Uh, When we were picking cards out to review, I hadn't even noticed this one. I skipped right over it. Mike pointed it out to me, and I'm glad that he did because uh, what a what a cool little card, Mike. It's an adorable little uncommon. Um, the best part is, it worst case scenario, you pay or you give it to somebody. They pay one. They roll one. Ah, ah. I have, I have caught up to even. Huzzah! Mm. Go ahead and have the purse now. Uh, Alex, why don't you go ahead and talk to me about our last card here? And it's okay. a land, another uncommon. Yeah, here's our last card. It's a land under dark rift. It's a non-basic land with tap at a colorless, mm-hmm. and the activated ability. Pay five, tap, and exile this card. Roll a d10. Put target artifact, creature, or planeswalker into its owner's library beneath the top X cards of that library where X is the result. Activate only as a sorcery. Now, this is 
a really expensive activated ability. However, mm-hmm. uh, it's spot removal on a land. So yep. if spot removal normally costs up to three mana to get some decent spot removal, which this is, this is a uh, what's what's the white spell? Uh, Obliviate or uh, uh, the one that shuffles it into yeah, it, ablation. It, it, ablation yeah it puts it it puts it too deep right or it shuffles it in yeah or it shuffles it into their deck yeah uh this is i mean even if you get five that's five draws away but you can get 10 Mm -hmm. that's 10 draws away this is it's not just something where you're seeing it as a downside where it's like okay well they can eventually get it back because this can be a lot more powerful than just normal spot removal normal spot removal like destroy well, what if it's indestructible? What right. if it has protection from white and from black, like some cards? And and then, as our friend Dana Roach has shown, uh, some seventy five percent of the the top one hundred removal spells are are white and black. Uh, very yep. difficult to give something pro colorless or pro land. Uh, so this is getting around indestructible. It's getting around most forms of protection, and it's on a land. So. I don't know. I mean, for six mana, you can send someone's commander back to the command zone. You can tuck their best artifact creature, Planeswalker. You can uh, tuck a Wincon. Yeah, that's. Sorry, I just stood here slack jawed for a second because I tried to think of if protection from lands is, is are, are words that I've ever seen. Before. No, no. And, and now I'm just kind of like, all right, if we ever go to Zendikar, I mean, protection from everything would give us protection right? from lands, but sure. Aside from that, this is yeah. you're paying five mana or six mana equivalent and losing a land, and and you're spot removing in in a tough Anything. fashion. It's it's more powerful yeah. than normal spot removal in that way. And I don't know. This could find a spot in my uh, in my Emrakul deck because I think I have Blast Zone in there, which is a board wipe on a land. I thought that I would want to have that. I've never actually wanted to use it because yeah. ugh, the double X and the activation cost, the fact that it hits my own stuff, maybe I can just replace it with this. It almost feels like Blast Zone is a really, really good, like, it, it's a good rattlesnake more than it is like an eminent threat, just because it's one of those things that for you to actually activate yeah. Man, you're balancing the scales the entire time, the, yeah. the math symbols all across your head. And okay, yeah, you know what? I guess it's worth it for me to do it right now for this. This is an ace in the hole removal spell. Like, how many removal yes. effects do you have on lands? Very few. I'm trying and to I, think of any right now. Like, I, no, and I, I not off the top of my head. And I'm I'm sitting here in the like, this is really cool. I'm glad that it's roll a d10, so it is random enough. I'm glad that it's exile under Dark Rift instead of sacrifice it. Mm-hmm. Like I, I feel like this is a good balance card, as well as a cool card. You know what I mean? Yeah. I would say it's it's good for that emergency situation where it's okay. I need to get removal, or that player over there is going to win because this right. is a sorcery effect. You can't do it if they're popping off on their turn. This is in that situation, and we've all been there many, many times where. The player across the table, the bolus or the top dog, whatever have you, is mm-hmm. clearly in a position to win. And all everybody else is doing now 
is trying to dig for removal. Well, if you have one extra removal spell on a land, that could save your behind. Right. And that, and it's sad that it's come to this. Do you know what my favorite thing about this card is? Is it the flavor? Uh, no. Well, first of all, we like the Underdark and we like the Rift. There is that. Um, but it doesn't come into play tapped. Well, I should hope not. But most of the time when I'm looking at a, most of the time when I'm looking at a land card, that is a utility land with the effect of blank that does something cool. I almost expect it to either come into play tapped or be extremely overpriced for the actual value that I'm trying to get to. I mean, I think a lot of people will look at this and say it's overpriced. Um, but, I mean, think about... <laughs> let's convert this to Arch of Araska, which is a very similar land, except mm-hmm. instead of removing a, a permanent, you're paying five and tapping to draw one card. You're paying, yeah, you're paying five and, sorry, you're paying six essentially to draw a card or you're paying five and exiling a land. Well, this is, this is still six. Something. Oh, right. Sorry. It's, it's, I don't know. I just, I just, I just like this. Spot removal in colorless is seven. So spot removal in land is six. That makes sense to me. I'll deal with it. Yeah, Yeah, I can, I can deal with that. This is a cool card. Yeah. It was a good pick. It's an you. uncommon. Let's let's be real. It's an uncommon. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's fun. <laughs> <laughs> it's um, uh it it's an ace in the hole. Yeah. That's all I had to and, and it's uh, a hard to target one. To to talk about from this set, Mike. What's what are your thoughts here? So again, like it's kind of weird. I I think I think part of it is we got a little bit spoiled with the uh the boy, political precon boy, did from we. Strixhaven. I mean, I don't think that we that we uh, didn't pay proper respect to that. I mean, I oh, we did. I never, I never buy commander precons like I used to. I bought that one uh-huh. because I want to reward that behavior and I wanted yeah. the cards in it. No, it's it's very cool. It's 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 very cool. And because it that was, uh, existed, silver quill, silver quill, silver quill, yeah. yeah. Uh, because because we got that and we got some, you know, we got a a, a set of cards. Uh, with the demonstrate ability we got all these things that it's like hey this is political this is group hug this is a couple of things that are going to be interesting for you i think i went into the dnd set which i've been excited about for a long time because again love dnd and my thought was as a person who loves dnd i love this set I love the main set. I love the uh, the pre-cons. There is a lot of cool power in here. There, it's cool to see a couple of creatures that weren't in the set. Like, Beholders are in the set. That's awesome. Stuff like that. Yeah. As an EDH player, there's a lot of power in the set, and there's a lot of cool things. Mm-hmm. Great. As a social contract podcaster... <laughs> it's slim pickings. I'm a, little, I'm a little bummed out. Well, you know, um, <laughs> we... You're right. We have gotten a little spoiled, and it wasn't just yeah. Silver Quill. We've had some sets as of late that mm-hmm. have just been exploding with political and group hug style value. And this yeah. set's a lot leaner on that. And I think that's that's kind of the default, right? Is the set is not usually going sure. to be full of politics. And the, you know what? That's okay. Because I don't. If if we had the ability to make a deck that was the ninety nine and the commander, it was all politics and lands, right? Yeah, that would get that 
that would get a little bit hard to keep track of at a certain point where I, everything I do means that we all do a thing. That might slow it down. It's called the filibuster deck um, because it's is, a lot is of... Is your win con Azor's Elocutors? I, I, I think it has and to be. It has to be. Um, and here's, like, this is not a bad set by any means as far as magic. It's not a bad set for EDH. It, it's, it is a little slimmer for us, but we've had a whole bunch of stuff. And what else comes out this year? I know Innistrad comes out this year. After that, are we... Yeah. Are, are, just, do, are we at the slowdown point, well, or I mean, is it still going fast? <laughs> <laughs> it seems like during the summer, they usually, at least the past couple of years, they've just had this rapid-fire set release, and it's been getting faster and faster with each year mm. um, as Wizards continues to pump out more and more sets because uh, they found that it, there's really no upper limit so far as to how many sets they can print in one year that people will not buy people just right. keep buying them uh and stores keep posting pre-releases and commander players keep buying singles and people keep drafting and playing standards so uh, i guess from their perspective there's really no reason to go any slower than they currently are but i mean one thing i would like to point out is uh i believe you can correct me that's uh, one of the upcoming innistrad sets is supposed to be about uh a vampiric wedding isn't that correct I, th- I thought I saw, and, and we'll, we'll have to clarify this, but there was something where Innistrad is basically two, like, two different sets or two different, like, yeah, actual two sets releases. Because yeah. it's, it's something that's in late September and then another thing that's in November. And I thought there was some kind of theme around something. So if that's the case, that actually sounds pretty cool. Like, well, I, Let me I, check I, this I so we don't sound like that. complete just guessing idiots. No, but that's uh, let, the, let's see. If, if I'm not allowed to sound like a guessing idiot, then I need to completely rechange my brand on this podcast. I don't know what to tell you. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> okay. Uh, Innistrad Midnight Hunt, scheduled to release September 2021. We'll focus on werewolves uh, and DFC cards. Innistrad Crimson Vow. We'll focus on the biggest vampire wedding in Innistrad history. I knew it. Okay. So. Here's my prediction. Innistrad Crimson Vow is going to have a lion's share of political cards. And I'm pretty excited for that to happen. Because you have to imagine the kind of wheelings and dealings that are going on at a vampire wedding. Vampires love that kind of thing. Control. This wedding is probably political in and of itself. It's probably merging two families to for political benefit. And... I'm imagining like a Godfather style situation where you have like people approaching Soren or whoever is the leader of the family. Yeah, yeah. And I'm I'm excited to see what they what they do with that. Watch, watch it be Grandpa Soren and its kids. <laughs> I, I'm I'm actually I'm I'm all in on that, and I'm not like a big vampires or werewolves guy. Nah, politics. But you know what? I okay. You've you've got you've got me interested, wizards. I see you. Yeah. <laughs> Plus, um, Alex, vampires means white and black, so. White and black yeah, tends to have some some politics some in there. Politics yeah. to it, yeah, you're right. Um, Alex, if somebody wanted to talk to you about the the Forgotten Realm set, or vampires, or werewolves, or a whole bunch of other stuff that was tangential to uh, d- uh, to Magic the Gathering, as well as Magic the Gathering, uh, how would they find you? Sure, you can find me on Twitter at Lappermedic, L A P P E R M E D I C, or you can uh, get me directly through email at alex at edhrec.com. You can also find me in our Discord. Yeah, 
We've got a Discord link in our show notes. Uh, it's been popping off in there uh, lately. Been having a bunch of people uh, talking about being excited for this set. Uh, asking Alex a lot of questions. Oh yeah, because he is our he is our judge, Alex, and uh, getting some input as phase uh, through phasing and a bunch of other things that I never thought to question. But at the same time. I have also been at a table and texted Alex from thousands of miles away to figure out how something <laughs> works. So there you go. Happy to help. Uh, if you, uh, if you want to buy any of these commander precons and you should, because they are cool. I will say that by themselves, they are pretty cool and they can do some pretty nutty stuff. Yeah, I mean, none of the, um, none of the lead commanders are jumping out at me, but a couple of no. the ancillary commanders are. I, I like a couple, but I'm, I'm with you. Yeah. You can actually support us by going to bit.ly slash EDH underscore social. Uh, go to TCG Player to get any of the cards we talked about, the precons themselves, deck boxes, sleeves, etc. We'd appreciate that. You can also follow us on Twitter at EDH underscore social or email us at the social contract EDH at gmail.com. At any of those locations, please hit us up if you want to hear us take a commander that you like and give it the social contract treatment. We're going to give it another couple weeks here. Uh, we'll announce our winner in the first show in August. And uh, Alex and I are going to do a live deck talk. Because we've wanted to do that for a while. And, well, this is the best way that we can think we of have. We're going to uh, have a winner. And that winner is going to have a deck built by us on our podcast. And then we're going to construct that deck and give it to that lucky listener. Yeah, it's been it's been interesting because I, I so I've lo- I haven't peeked behind the curtain. I haven't let Alex know about any of the entries that we've gotten yet. Yeah, he hasn't told because, me crap because I, I I think it's funnier that way. I will give you this, Alex. There's been two different types of entry. Mm. There's been here's a commander that I really like, but I want to make it play nice with everybody. <laughs> so how do I make this commander political without being and then the other one is, I have an extremely rude commander. Good luck making it not rude. <laughs> oh, dear Lord. <laughs> so we're going to be picking right. I'm not going to lie. Depending on uh, how many entries we get, we might be doing two of these in the future. I mean, if but... they make it too rude at that point, we're just going to be like, okay, well, this is the commander, but I'm not casting it. Yeah, uh, I, I will point out that I haven't gotten the request to uh, make a Nekusar, uh fun deck, but, you know, there's still plenty of time. With that said, regardless of how we see to you, regardless of how we talk to you, we will talk to you soon.